Well, a couple months ago, I said that uh, the, of, in April that it was my, uh, the anniversary of my uh, first sermon here nine years ago, and this is the uh, anniversary of when I, first, when I started preaching every week uh, up until Nate coming back in uh, 2013, so... Um, um, it's a good memory, and I'm still here. <laughs> so, I thank the Lord for his faithfulness and for all you folks for wanting to be back, having me want to come back, and you wanting me to come back. Uh, and so, it'll be four years, I think, I've been back after the little... Um, break for Nate getting his situated in his ministry and my work that was at First Press. So it, um, it is a time to rejoice and to be thankful for that. Uh, today we're going to be looking at, surprise, surprise, the book of Romans. Um, as I said last week, we, were going to, we looked at uh, just the first four verses and uh, this week I thought about changing the title and changing the scripture reading. So I sent it to Sally and then down to, toward the end of the week, by the time I was working on it, and um, I realized that uh, we should have gone back to the old uh, title and scripture reading is that the, the power that breaks canceled sin was the name of last week's message because of, because of the freedom now we have in Christ and because of particularly this chapter 6 of the book of Romans. So today, and because of communion, and because we're going to be celebrating that and uh, exercising our faith in, and through that uh, sacrament of grace that he's given to us, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 again with a focus on 12 through 14. And for those in your, who are sitting in the pews, it's page 943 in the Blue Pew Bible there. And I encourage you highly to follow along. Because as I've said frequently, it is much easier to follow where I'm going, follow the argument, uh, follow uh, the words and the connections and how things seem to fit together. Is this a little bit loud? Okay, can you turn it down a little bit? What's that? Oh, okay. I'm, everybody knows I'm five to ten times louder than Nate. And it was funny... <laughs> Melanie said last week, I guess on the screen you can see when she's looking, what is it called, the audacious? Yeah, there's a wavelength of how, with the, where the, free, or the loudness of the speaker, and she says, you know, Nate's over here, and I can tell Pastor Jim is speaking because it's over here. <laughs> so, um, anyway, let me pray as we open up God's Word. Heavenly Father, we are here today because... 
You have desired for us to be your children. You have desired for your your creatures to worship you and to gather together. And Lord, there are those who are doing it out of obligation around the world and even here maybe, Lord. There are those who are doing it out of trying to please you. And then there are those of us who are here because your word teaches us to be obedient and to desire to keep holy and to remember the Sabbath. And we do this not out of gaining any favor, but to express to you our love and our thankfulness. And certainly we want to please you by our life, knowing that we have been grateful for the gift of salvation that we've been given in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that as your word teaches us in in Jesus' great high priestly prayer that you brought through your servant John, that we are here to hear your word and to be sanctified through it. And so, Lord, I do pray for that to work, that, Lord, you would not only just bring words to us, but that we certainly need to realize that these are your words. And through them, you speak to us through your Spirit. And through the work of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, we will be able to hear. We will be able to recognize the voice of you, dear Jesus, hopefully and prayerfully that this means that you are our Savior as well the head of the church, the bridegroom, the head of this family that you have brought together. Lord, we pray that you would be with us through this time of preparation leading up to communion, but also as always every week, Lord, that we will be blessed to hear your word and feel your presence in this place. So we ask it, Lord, to be treated as Moses was told that this is holy ground. And I pray, Lord, that we recognize that every time we open up your word and every time we gather together that we enter into your time and your space, which is not anything that you need, or that you are held to, but this is a time that you have given to us. And this place in Boston Spa that you've given to us to worship together. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, because I certainly have to lead up to it. Uh, There's only going to be two messages from these 14 verses, and yet, as I, you have heard me say before that there have others in the past godly, uh, powerful preachers who have uh, preached uh, 14 messages from these 14 verses. So, um, but because I think, and I'm not going to uh, kind of do that because uh, I think that because my, the, the space of time between how, where I preach next, which is going to be in October, 
Um, it, is, uh, it is difficult to bring everybody back up again, and, and if it, I wanted to kind of bring broader strokes together. So we're going to look at uh, just these uh, two sections of this uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. So this is the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. May the Lord bless this reading of his word. Now to kind of sum up what I had mentioned last week, and I'll briefly go over that, is a quote from John Stott's commentary on this section. John Stott, if... You could ever read any of his stuff, his great stuff. He is uh, now with the Lord, but has left a tremendous legacy of writing and of sermons uh, of, uh, the Anglican, in the Anglican Church, and we just thank you for uh, the Lord for bringing him as an instrument of righteousness into this world. So John Stott writes this about these first 11 verses, even though we looked at verses 1 through 4. He goes, I find it helpful to think in these terms. Our biography is written in two volumes. Volume 1 is the story of the old man, the old self, of me, before my conversion. Volume 2 is the story of the new man, the new self, of me, after I was made a new creation in Christ. Volume one, is, it, volume 1 of my biography ended with the judicial death of the old self. I was a sinner, 
I deserve to die. I did die. I received my deserts in my substitute with whom I have become one. And the word substitute is in the capitals. So he's talking about Jesus, of course. Volume two of my biography opened with my resurrection. My old life having finished, a new life to God has begun. And that's what Paul has been using and talking about the words that he's used to be able to undergird and be able to give a foundation for the commandments that he is going to give us from verse 11 on, actually in a, in a more of an application in verses 12 through 14. We looked at last week and said that when chapter 5 is very important to look at, and you know how I was kind of going on this side saying, as he talked about, the first Adam came, and that's who we are created. This is who we are in. When we are not believers, all humanity finds their, their, uh, their heart, finds the way their worldview is, finds everything. Common man is all under Adam. The new person, the person now in Christ, is now under not the second Adam, because there's no need for a third Adam. He's the last Adam, and that's Jesus. So we have the first Adam and the last Adam. In the last Adam, as John Stott talked about, it is a new life. This is the old self. This is the new self. This is the old way of looking at life. This is the old way of living our lives. This is the new life. This is the life that Jesus, uh, we, would we would live in because, and because, of the, because of Christ, his example, because of his words, and because he has given us access to the Father and giving us a whole new life when we are born again, as John says in chapter 3 to Nicodemus, a person has to be born again before they can ever please God, before they can ever ask God, before they can ever see God, before they will ever see heaven. And so this is what Paul is talking about when he says that how, in verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he is saying, God forbid, as it was said in the King James Version. By it can't be. May it never happen. Because this person in Adam, if we are now in Christ, is dead is no longer alive. The lifestyle, the behavior, the way that a person lives their life, their worldview, is still very much alive, but has now been transported into this new world. This is a world where sin reigned and death reigned. That's why when he says, I hope there was a happy hallelujah in, uh, in uh, verse 9, he says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. When Jesus died, and when we celebrate his resurrection on Easter, the newness of life has now been given to all of us. A new grace. A grace that has not been uh, 
omitted in the Old Testament, but now in the Old Testament, it was promised. In the New Testament and in Christ, it's fulfilled. So now this newness of life can be something that we experience every day as a down payment, as we walk through this world, as Peter tells us, we are aliens and strangers, that we are peculiar, odd people living in a world that wonders why do we live the way that we live? Why do we think the way that we think? Why do we not like certain things in this world, certain lifestyles, certain moral issues, It's because of what God now has told us that in this new kingdom, in this new realm, where God is king, where Christ is king, where the Holy Spirit works in our life, it may have worked here, but it doesn't work here. It's not acceptable. It's not what God says is acceptable into this kingdom life. In still, as Sinclair Ferguson's book as you, I know many, it's, I'm glad to know that he's gotten such, being become popular person around here, is he wrote a book called Kingdom Life in a Fallen World. We now take this life, bring it into this life, we now, it is, we pray for the transformation by the renewing of our minds, how we look at God, but we live our kingdom life still in this world. And so that's what he is saying that, There is no way for us to say, wow, this means I can continue to live here as I was living here. And that's what he said, it's such a terrible question. But yet people are saying, as I said last week, Paul is concerned that people are going to say, wow, that means I can live any way I want to because the more I sin, the more we see the grace of God. And he says that's just... That's not even possible to think of a person who's been transported into this world to accept it. Not not to say that we are no longer going to sin because he says here, he says, we have died to sin, verse 2. He doesn't say that sin has died. He says that we have died to sin. Why? Because Jesus has died to sin to sin not because jesus had a sinful nature but because jesus took on the form of a flesh form form of our flesh became a servant and in this world he came under the law and he was subject to the law and he lived in a world and his body lived in a world and his body lived in a in a, in a world that was was sin and not his nature but it was that he lived in this world where where death was still very much hanging over the head of the world because it needed a redeemer. And that's why Jesus came. So Jesus died to the law. He died to the curse of the law. He died for the condemnation of the law because you and I and all of humanity, because Adam, the first Adam, failed to obey God. If he had, he would have moved on to a much more beautiful, glorified life. Because why would there be a tree of life if Adam had everything that he he needed? If getting back to the garden, getting back to the Garden of Eden is all that people are thinking about, they don't realize that there was much more for us to have and Adam to have. 
But Adam never got the chance because he was on probation. And he and Eve decided to go against what God said. And so from there, being as we looked at that Adam is the corporate representative, the federal head of all humanity, all humanity finds ourselves here in Adam, into this world of sin, into the reign of sin, where sin reigns. And I, I, just, as, just to listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this. This is a, a familiar passage, but again, this is where he is talking about. And you were dead in, in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, meaning Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's why it's so important to be able to look at these words and to take them and parse them out. It's because they mean something. They're phrases that are meant to describe who we are and who we now are in Christ and who we were outside of Christ. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were still dead, even when we could do nothing, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So what is Paul telling us? Paul's telling us this, that this is what the Bible teaches us. And Paul is telling us here when he says, we, are we who died to sin. We now, there is no place where you and I made the decision to die to sin. We can't do it. Only Jesus could do it. We have to deal with the sin in our life. And we'll look at that. But he is saying here that we have died to sin. And who did that? Christ. He is the only one that can do that. And so we are now dead to sin. He says, because of that, he says, the whole work of Christ and his, has now become our benefit. We now benefit. We are recipients because he says we all died in Christ. So the Bible teaches us in Galatians 2.20 that I, he goes, I've been crucified with Christ. That's not something Paul has done. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, I've died with Christ. First, Second Timothy chapter uh, 2, he says, if we died with Christ, we live with Christ. We're buried with Christ. Colossians chapter 2. We looked at that last week. We were raised, as it says here in, in Ephesians, in, in uh, Colossians 2. We are raised with Christ. We're baptized into Christ. As Matthew tells us in the Great Commission, therefore go make disciples among all, among all the nations, baptizing them into, into the name of Jesus. It's a naming. 
function. It's a naming uh, ceremony. We now take the name of Christ because we are in Christ. And that makes all the difference. When I, I, I read when, when Martin Luther was being tempted, he would cry out, I am a baptized Christian. And that's where, as you see in verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death, meaning that everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross, everything he accomplished by his perfection of his life, by his resurrection, by his ascension into heaven, we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It's all because of what Jesus has done. So he says, how in our right minds could we ever say, should I keep on sinning so grace may abound? A person who loves the Lord, who understands grace, who understands the love, this extravagant love, this extravagant grace that has been given to us when we don't deserve it and given to us as a gift through faith, as Paul has been talking about in Romans, how could we ever find ourselves accepting sin in our life? As I said last week, sin has not died in our life. Sin is very well, is very well alive and doing well in the world. And even in our, in our lives, sin still rages on. But it's different, right? Because now, before we had no one, we didn't have Jesus in Adam. We didn't have the Holy Spirit, but now we have the ability to say no where we had no power to say no before. It's because of the gospel. As Paul says in the very beginning, what does he say? He says, it is the power of God unto salvation. He says in the beginning chapters of Romans, chapter 1, it is the power of God. So he says, because of that, how could we ever go back? He says, we've been baptized. That means we find our identity in Christ. That's when it says in Corinthians, where the, where the people, uh, the, the Jews, the Israelites, were baptized into Moses in the cloud, it talks about. It says they weren't baptized into Moses uh, you know, like they are with Christ, but it's talking about their, his leadership, his headship, under a corporate head of uh, of a name so they were baptized into Moses because they were now following Moses but now we are called because of of, uh, of, the, of Christ we are now baptized into Christ not just because of our being our uh, 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 just somebody to follow but because of all that he's accomplished for us so that's where he says and I want these words to drip off of us because they're so important for if we have been united with him, a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, see, knowledge, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, that our old self, not an old man, not the old person, the old person has died. I want to make sure we understand that. That person is dead. This person is new. The old is gone. The new has come, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The old self 
was crucified with him in order that he, the body of sin, what is the body of sin? The body of sin is this body. That's what he's going to talk about in verses 12 through 14. That's what he's going to be describing in chapter 7. In fact, let me just read some verses to you from there. As he says in chapter 7, verse 18, verse 18 says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 23, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, that dwells in my body, this body of sin he's talking about. We may be dead, we may be dead to sin, but sin still is very much present in our bodies. Sin affects our bodies. Sin wants our bodies. We do not die to ourselves. We do not die to sin. We now do something else with sin. Chapter 8, verse 13 of the book of Romans. Well, verse 12. So then, my brothers and sisters... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Why? Because you're still in Adam. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, which is affected still by sin, the put to death, mortify, execute, that's what we go on killing and trying to die to, is the passions of our hearts. Not these, all, God has given us passions. God has given us desires that are very good and are meant for very good purposes. But when they become lusts and passions and we lose control, then it says in verses 12 on, this is where sin now is in a battle. So that's what he says to us. We mortify the flesh. We mortify the body. We kill it. We try to put it to death. We can't put death. We, we, don't, we don't die to sin, as I've told you other people have said. Well, you just got to die. You just got to die. You just got to die to sin. You got to kill sin in your life. We don't. We have to keep our body into submission. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, my very first sermon I ever preached in my entire life was chapter 9 of the book of 1 Corinthians. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one just beating the air. But I discipline my body 
and keep it under control. Why? Because he's died to sin. Lest after preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. So Paul is talking about we are the reason why we cannot say that anybody can say and give you an argument to say that we just go on sinning and God will just forgive us is that we forget who we are if we ever were. Were we ever believers? We're going to struggle with sin. Listen, I mean, just we'll, we'll go on and, and, and I'll get to that. He says here, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Well, we'll chapter t- uh, Verse 12 will tell us. We know... Now, if we died with Christ, verse 8, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Praise God. Death no longer has dominion over him, which means that we could never lose our salvation because Jesus will never have to die again. Jesus will never have to be raised again because it's done, it's finished, it's complete. We can never lose our salvation if we are in Christ. Because if God has us in his hands, if God has given us to Jesus, and Jesus says, I've not lost one that you've given to me, what does that mean? That means he's lost none that God's given to him, that he's died for on the cross, meaning that we can never lose our salvation. Sometimes we may not always look like the perfect Christian. Oh, wait a minute. We're never going to look like the perfect Christian. Sorry. We're never going to look like the perfect Christian. But we are going to look like Christ. And we are going to want to live for Christ and like Christ because of what God has done for us. Taking us out of Adam and bringing us into this whole new world. As Romans 5 tells us, a sin reigned, as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign in righteousness and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 21 of chapter 5. Verse 10 of chapter 6. For the death he died, he died to sin. He died to the penalty of sin. He died for you and me. He took the debt. He had justified us. Sinclair Ferguson said, uh, he said, uh, that when uh, he, years and years and years ago, I think it was in Scotland where he was from, there was a posting on the wall on some on public place or whatever saying that such and such has been justified today. And he goes, you know what that meant? That means he was hung. Because what? Nobody had any more tabs on him. He owed nothing to society. He owed nothing to the government. He owed nothing to anyone. He was freed. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He's justified us. He's freed us from any condemnation of sin. That's where he goes in verse 10, 11, excuse me. So you, must also, you also must consider yourselves. This is where he is saying, now I want you to regard this. I want you to think about this. I want you to really think. Because what does Paul write in Colossians chapter 3? He says, set your minds for the things above. Think about these things. Because this will keep us from wanting to go back into Adam 
when we have said we are going to follow Christ. Roman, uh, Galatians 5 says this. You have read chapter 2. We've read it today. I think the readings today fit so much better the ones that are for, for this passage. But he says, right, we saw in chapter 2, we read Galatians chapter 2. In our, re- in our uh, reading this morning, he says that I've been crucified with Christ, right? Christ, I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ, meaning that Christ was crucified in some mysterious, beautiful, wonderful way. God has included us in Christ's death to not because we needed to save the world, but because we are the world that Jesus saved. But notice what it says in chapter 5 of Galatians. Walk by the Spirit. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. This is against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you and I should want to do. Because we are new in Christ. We have a whole new want list. Over here, I want, and I keep on wanting to get what I want. Over here, we now want because God wants us to want. God wants us to will this way. God wants us to do these things. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and they will keep you from doing the things that you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. All right? That means that you are not obligated. You are not, you are not now under the debt of the law, even though what happens is that, you know, law and grace... We, as Christians, we don't throw the law out. It's very much a part of our life. We still need to look at it and saying, what is it, what kind of moral world does the Lord want me to live in? What kind of moral behavior, how the Lord wants me to behave? So we go back to the law because it guides us. It corrects us. But we don't, we don't now live in fear of never obeying it, but because we are now under grace. And he's going to mention something about it in, in our t- reading today. But the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, imp- impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Things that we live with every common day life. We live in a world, this just goes on every day of our lives. The things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, not just once or twice, but this is their worldview. This is what they continue to do. Que sera, sera. As long as it doesn't hurt you and me, what do I care what other people do? He goes, I warned you that before those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against some of those things. There is no law. 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That's not what chapter 2 is talking about. It's not talking about what Romans chapter 5 is talking about. That crucifixion was done by Christ. That was something that was done for us and to us. Notice what this says, and I want to make sure that you understand it. He says that those who belong to Christ have crucified. This is an activity that you and I do. This is where we participate. This is a part of our sanctification process. This is something where we're becoming to look more like Jesus. We have done this. This is a decision that you and I have made sometime in our life. Yes, we need to crucify the flesh. We need to mortify the flesh. But this is a past tense, meaning that this is something that on in April of 1982, I made a decision to do at the Billy Graham crusade, Susie and I did, that we were going to follow Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. We have made a decision that we know that the flesh is not something that we can go on living according to my, the dictates of my heart and to look for anybody to confirm the way that I live my life. I now live in a new world under a new king, and I'm saying, I have crucified the flesh. I cannot go back and do that again. This is our plea. This is our decision. I have crucified. I have made a decision to follow Christ. That's what he's talking about. It's an activity that you and I are involved in. So I don't want you to get confused. I want you to realize that there is a crucifixion that we have received. There is a crucifixion of the flesh that we participate and actually willfully have decided to do. So he says in verse 11 back in chapter 6, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. He wants you to consider all of the verses that have gone previously so that you can understand now why you are told to do what you're told to do. He is going to say, you just can't say no, but you have to say yes. That's the difference. And as a Christian, we just don't say no. He wants to give them every reason in the verses preceding, especially verses 11 through, 1 through 11, he wants, he wants to give us enough of doctrine, enough theology, so that we say yes. Not so it's always negative, which it is, but we say it positively, yes to Jesus. Not that I got to do it. Not that it's such a miserable thing, okay, I guess I'll have to do it. But it's because, yes, because of grace, because of the gospel, because of the new life we have in Christ, saying yes makes it so much more palatable. And saying yes gives us a greater power than just saying no. Now we can say no to sin, but we say yes to something else. Telling people to say no is a good thing, but there's got to be a reason to say no. Because if we tell people as Christians just say no, why? Why do, I say, why do I say no? What's the motivation for me to say no? I'm going to hell? 
Why should I say no? Because of the blessing of Jesus. Introduce them to Christ. Let them understand the gospel. Let them see where they are and where they can be. That's our jobs. By our word and our lives. There he goes now in the, the, the implementation, the application of this, right? It's like he gives us doctrine and he gives us all the truth so that we will say no, but because we have said yes. Notice the negative here. Let not sin therefore. Therefore, because of everything else you've done, consider, regard who you are. Regard where you are. Regard what you have. What blessings do you have in Jesus? Therefore, let not sin reign. Another imperative. He's giving us another commandment. He gave us a command to consider ourselves. He hasn't given us a commandment for the first six and a half chapters. He does so now because he's been building up. We have no righteousness. We work against righteousness. That's what everything chapter 1 through 3, 20 was. We are unrighteous. In fact, we are working against God, and we suppress the truth, and we don't care, and we, wonder, we don't wonder why the world is the way it is. It's just the way it is. And who are we to judge the way people live their lives or what they do? So he says, let not, let sin, let not sin therefore reign. Talking about ruling in your life. Because what happens is because sin wants to. It's a war. Sin wants you and me. Wants, he's, wants our body. Can't have you and me. Can't have me. I, I've been crucified with Christ, but this body of sin, I've got to deal with. And you've got to deal with. Because the members of your body want to be used for unrighteousness. He says, let it not reign in your mortal body to make it obey its passions. The body has passions and can run amok without someone to guide it. Someone to keep watch. Another negative, do not present your members to sin, your body, your members, your mind, your hand, your feet. Because he says in, in chapter 7, and we're going to see that, but he, I just read it to you, he, he realizes that there's nothing good within his flesh because sin wants his body. It's warfare. As he says, do not present your members to sin as weapons. It's the word for weapons. It's warfare. It's a battle. Sin is working over your life, waiting to take over the members of your body for unrighteousness. It's a warfare that goes on. This is why we need to be undergirded. This is why we need to be taught doctrine. This is why we need to be taught theology. Because if we don't have a foundation, we have no defense other than just saying no which is still important, and we're called to do. We don't do it enough. Do not present your, bod your body parts, your mind, your eyes, your mouth, your hands, your ears, your feet, your personality, everything, 
to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Notice the reason why we say no. The reason why we don't let sin reign in our lives. The reason why we don't present our bodies and our members of our bodies to unrighteousness. For your members to God as weapons and righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Do you see the word will have? It's future. Meaning that because we are here, sin will never reign in your life if you are in Christ. Now, there are times if you know in your own life and you've seen the lives of other Christians and you certainly can go back to the the statements in the Westminster Confession, it talks about this. There are times when sin does take over in the life of a believer and God disciplines that person by working in their life as i've said you know don't be don't be led i forgot what psalm it was but don't for uh, don't be led by a bit or or a, a, a bridle like a horse god will do that to us god will it will be a very unpleasant experience by god disciplining us but we will never lose our salvation but discipline he says don't be disheartened by it because god is working in you that you learn from that so there are times when there are parts of our bodies, there are things that we do in our life, there are actions that we take that we see believers get enslaved to. That doesn't mean they lose their salvation, but it makes their life miserable. Maybe we know that. Maybe we know people in our life, maybe we know people in our church, maybe you've done it, We've all done it. Maybe we've been to a place where we just have found our place in ourselves in, in a sinful way that we just are stuck there. Because there are weeds in a garden that are suckers to pull out. And they're difficult to get out. But the Bible tells us that there are those, as he says, we, 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 I mean, we are never going to lose our salvation because we are not comfortable with that. We have a problem with, with a certain issue or issues in our life. But the Bible tells us that it is not that we've given over, we've totally gone back to Adam, but there is a portion of our life that is now as a weapon of unrighteousness to, by Satan to be able to make it look like that is more preferable than, than the, the grace that God has given to us. That's what happens in our life. What happens when we go from here to here is that now God is more preferable. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those are more preferable than lust, than drunkenness, than immorality, than hatred, than jealousy. Those are more preferable. Though sin may entice us, we may be enticed by our passion, and it may be, as the Bible teaches us in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 3, that sin is so deceitful, it is like a worm being hung on a hook in front of a fish. And we may go after it, and sometimes we get caught. But that's why the body is here. That's why the leadership of the church is here. That's why we have one another so that we can confess our sins to one another and find ourselves to 
get help to find ourselves to re be restored, to be for reminded of grace, to not be beaten up, but to be reminded of who we are, of this great gift of righteousness that God has given to us, this great gift that we've been given to Christ, this new life that we've been given to him. There may be times of extreme measure that, I, as we've talked about in the past, I know I have is church discipline, right? It is a time when the leadership of the church may need to step in to be able to intervene in a recalcitrant life of a saint. And certainly through that period of time, you find out if that person's a saint or not. And I've told you from my own experience, persons so embedded in the church from cradle to adulthood had to be excommunicated from the church because they felt bad of what they did, but they weren't sorry for what they did. That's a difference. It changes us. When we're in Christ, our sensitivities change. Realizing that we no longer reflect the glory of God. We no longer show our love for Christ. We are now reflecting the old Adam and the flesh more than we ever are of the newness of life. So he says, we will so sin will have no dominion over you. That's a promise. It may be tough, tougher for some. He says, but you're not under law, you're under grace. That's the answer. Because we are under grace. Because he who began a work in you will see it to completion. And he will also give us the will and the desire to do what he wants us to do. Chapter 2 verse, of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He not only he gives us the will to do so we just can't say no we need a reason to say yes because yes is the power that brings breaks canceled sin sin that has been died to now is something that we can say no and yes as we think about going and taking communion, as we think about this, this is a rededication of our baptism, as he talked about. Baptism is the initiatory rite within the church. It says that we've been, we have died with Christ, we've been buried with Christ, and we've been raised with Christ. We have been forgiven our sins, our blood, our, this, the blood of Christ has washed us to a new life. For those people who are uh, immersed and thought, you know, to, for a picture, it's a great picture, right, of those who were baptized as adults and, and, and immersed, died and raised to new life. But that's not the whole story. The story is it's Christ that's life, that he's been, he's been buried and raised from the dead. He died and was raised from dead for you and me. It's, been, it's the gospel that we've been given, that covenantal mark on our lives, both as adults and as children. It is the mark of a covenant. So that's the initiatory right within a church, is baptism. To be a member at Hope Church, you need to be baptized. And that's a discussion. 
to have. Because why? Because you need to be baptized so that you understand what this is. You understand what rededication is. You are giving your life over again. You are rededicating your life to Christ, as he says here. Let not sin reign. Refuse. But he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Right? That's going to be coming up. Chapter 12 of the book of Romans. After all 11 chapters, he goes back to and says, Therefore, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So, what are we doing here today? We are telling the world, we are proclaiming the life and the death of Christ. We are telling the world, each other, reminding each other who this is about. It's not about you and me. It's about him. That's why we talk about the, the, the gifts of, and the sign and the seal of baptism and communion. A child doesn't need to understand what the gift or what the sign is about, but it's a sign pointing to Christ when the parents bring this child to be baptized within the midst of a church that says that they are going to do everything they can to bring this child up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Of the Lord by being a part of the discipleship program that the church has for them. And to be an encourager. And to be someone who would look out after their lives. This is a, this is a testimony to each other, saying that I am a follower of Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I now live by faith. And this is what this points to. So, if you don't know who Jesus is, then the Bible tells us you better not eat and drink. Because when you do, you'll be eating, drinking, the, not the blessing, but the curse upon yourself. You'll be drinking that judgment upon yourself, that, that judgment cup of wrath, pointing not to the blessing of Christ, but the cursing of Christ. If you don't know what you're eating and drinking, it's better to refrain and ask questions. And that's why we also say that it is for people who are, you know, standing in members of a church and good standing in a church to understand that this is a way of life for them that we do, that you do and we do in this church is something that it is a sign and a seal of our faith. It is a sign of the gospel of Christ, the coming again of Christ. I can't long for that day when I no longer have to fight with this passions and the desires of of this body of sin. Notice he uses the word mortal. I believe he says there. Does it say mortal flesh? Yeah, it does. Verse 12, you reign in your mortal body. Why did he put that in here? Because it's, if we listen to it, it's going to die someday. So does it really carry all that much weight in our eternity? And the answer is no, because it's going to pass away. And then we're left to stand before Jesus. And what are we going to do? Blame my body. It's like my son. When he was a little kid, he did something. He goes, Dad, I didn't do it. My hand did it. Oh, really, Philip? Your hand did it. We can't blame our bodies, even though our bodies are the ones that are, are, are longing to be king in our life. We are told to make sure that Jesus is king in our life. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us as we gather together for this communion meal. 
We ask, Father, that you would bless the elements. We pray, Father, that your um, that you would be glorified through this time. We pray, Father, that we would recognize, as your word tells us today, that we should consider and reckon ourselves. Paul writes to us, as you gave to him in, in chapter 11 of, of uh, Corinthians, that we should examine ourselves before we eat and drink so we realize that this power to say no to sin and yes to grace is a part of our lives. Is this the way that we function? Do we live under a new king? Or don't we care? That's a real sign of, Lord, if we are followers of Christ. For we know that we will struggle with flesh. But Lord, your word tells us that we are, we will, someday you began that work in us and you will see it to completion. And if we have truly died with Christ to sin, then sin will not ever overtake our lives. So let us rejoice, Lord, from this word today. And as we eat and drink, we do it, Lord, in an anticipation of the grace that you give us in our very souls as we do it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. To ask the 